Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms. By watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about the off-Broadway production of Skin Tight, specifically a performance from June of 2018. This isn't an easy video to find, but if you've read or seen the play in the past, you shouldn't find it too hard to follow. We mention this because while we review the show itself, we also share thoughts about the specific performance we've seen. The internet is your friend, darling! (laughs) So without further ado, the curtain is now rising. Joshua, what's that I smell? Oh, uh, it's it's death, Dan. Please enjoy our discussion of the June 2018 performance of Skin Tight. Hey, Dan. Hi, Natasha. Uh, what's going on? You sound different. Uh, I got a, a, a Botox on my... You got, you got sorry, I, what? I got Botox on my smile lines. And I now can't move my face. Uh, all right. Why? It's a big decision. Why'd you get Botox? Uh, I, I know you're just a twenty-year-old bitch. I but can't. But when I can't. you get older, uh, you need to take precautions. Um. So, Dan, for the record, I picked up about 25% of that. Is there a chance you could just get it out? Well, according to Adina Menzel, um, if you get 75% of it, you're still a success. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Wow. Jab right under the belt, huh? Oh, no. That isn't as funny as I think it is. I'm laughing like this. Dan, this is going to be a messy one, is it not? Oh, Holy cow. Oh. I've never heard you laugh that hard. <laughs> never in my life. <laughs> oh. Anyway. How are you, Josh? Hello, everyone. I, I didn't just uh, get Botox, uh, and Botox doesn't do that. I can say from experience. Unfortunately. Oh, can you? Yes, actually. Fun. But not in a fun way. I got into a major car crash, and I had to get 40 stitches in my face, and they used Botox to numb the area. Holy cow. Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that fun? I got Botox, and it wasn't even cosmetic. Ugh. (laughs) Holy cow. That's... Exciting? No, it wasn't. Who doesn't love getting into a? No, yeah, no, it doesn't sound. Doesn't sound very fun. Mm-hmm. Um. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Great note to start us off on. <laughs> we are today. <laughs> we are today talking about the play Skin Tight, uh, as it was performed off Broadway. Uh, in a performance on in June of 2018, starring uh, the one and only Idina Menzel, 
or oh sorry 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 I'm gonna take that again sorry take it again. Uh, starring the one and only Adele Dazim. <laughs> Great joke. Where'd you get it? Five years ago. Did you step in a time machine? Do you think you're new? Do you think you're fresh? Do you think you're young? Because you seem really old to me right now, and I'm moving on to a new podcast co-host. But you can still be the manservant. Oh, great! Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell if I can't I can't tell if you're coming up with this out of the air or if this is a very specific niche reference to the play we just made, in which this does happen a couple times. Fun fact to the audience. Sorry if you haven't watched the play yet, but if you haven't, why the hell are you here? Well, they're here for entertainment, darling. We're entertaining, I think. Hopefully. You would. Um, Uh, so. uh, 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 (laughs) Are you not entertained? Uh, no, you know what? No, I can't even, no. The one thing I am, if anything, after these recordings is entertained. That's for absolute sure. Let me entertain you ba, ba. let me cha, make let you smile, ba, ba, ba. You smile. <laughs> you're welcome oh can you do some can you do some tricks some old and then some new tricks i'm very versatile nice we're getting into that in a couple weeks uh let's not let's let's not strike the iron yet um anyway so skin tight we both watched it. It's a play by Joshua Harmon. Uh, I like, I, I, I trust this man. I trust, I trust him. You do. Why? Yeah, there's something about, you can just sense when there's like a really good, when someone really carries um, a name with like strength and with like emphasis. I just trust, I trust a man with that oh, name. I think it's Jesus a good name. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, Joshua. It's not because he has the I, same name as you. You have the same birthday hey, as Ava Braun. Hey, do you trust hey, Ava Braun? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 I never said it was because my name. I mean, for all you know, I like Harmon. There's not, I just like, I just trust Cut the his name. Bullshit. That's all I'm saying. Cut the bullshit. I, if I cut the bullshit, we do not have a podcast, Dan. Oh, vey. Skin type. Play by Joshua Harmon. Do you know any of his other work? Yes, he did Significant Other, which I saw. He also did. Oh, I've heard of that one. That's um Gideon Glick and yes. Lindsay Mendes. Yes, and most importantly, uh, Barbara Barry. Mm. Do you know Barbara Barry? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. You say that Company is one of your most important records, but you've never le- read the cast list or the liner notes. Hmm. Likely story. <laughs> I've read the liner lo- liner notes. I don't have the... I, ne- I never got to memorizing the OBC. She was in the original Beyond. Broadway cast of Company. Uh, she's a legendary character hmm. actress. And she was in Significant Other? That's what we should maybe touch on that. That sounds exciting. Oh, uh, maybe eventually. Um, so he did Significant Other, he did Bad Jews, um, and he also did Admissions. Those are his big big works. Mm, and you've and have you seen most of them or, or any of them? Well, I've seen Bad Jews, but not the play. Uh- <laughs> oh. <laughs> Alright. I I walked into that one, I suppose. <laughs> I, I've seen Significant Other and I've seen Skin Tight. Uh, those are the only two I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay. How was Significant Other? Yeah. Not 100% sure how I feel about it. 
This is going to be a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. His problems are his problems. Huh. Okay. So, uh... Joshua. Yeah. Did you know anything about this going into it? No, absolutely nothing. Um, You told me that it had something to do with uh, Judaism. And I was like, okay. And then I went in and there was really nothing about Judaism. Um, You can't say nothing. Yiddishness. There was a Yiddish thing and then something about the Holocaust. Yes, there's... That is one of the themes, um, Jewish identity. All... The Isaac family is Jewish and the son is in Hungary. And he's home from Hungary. Mm -hmm. But he's in Hungary. And... You know, he mentions that they are still not kind to the Jews, but they're all buying Jewish clothing made by his grandfather. And it's about, you know, these poor immigrants getting money and reassessing their values to an extent. Yeah. Did you not feel that was... Yeah, no, family values was a big thing of it. Definitely. Well, I not just, just family I, values, I, I, but their own identities. Yeah. Uh, it's something that, like, felt as though the characters of the story were trying to sort of not discuss or keep in the past or hide. And, and you know, to that effect, I think it wasn't like it wasn't something where it actually failed in bringing it up. It was it was like used to good dramatic effect. But in doing so, it felt it always felt like something that was a bit like, you know, quiet, secret, not super integral to what was actually going on within the characters, I suppose? It's not one of the main points of the show, but it is a running theme. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I, I, what I should have said was I expected it to be, like, when you mentioned that it was, uh, that there was Judaism involved, I was expecting, like, a, like a, like a more, pr- like a whole prominence of it. And then I, and then that wasn't the case. But other than You that, wanted really, to talk. You've never had, seen I knew Fiddler. nothing about the show. Yet. 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 The first production that comes to Toronto uh-huh. I'm seeing. Sure. You can't even put on the fucking movie. It's a great movie. I have the movie on VHS. I could do that. So anyway, you knew nothing. (laughs) Um, Uh, Overall, what did you think? I, um... (laughs) Yeah, great answer. I I didn't... It's not something... uh, I'll start off by saying that I didn't dislike the show held my attention well it was there was good dialogue there was good it's it's it was a hard one to read there were a lot of times where i was like watching the show and i was like yes i understand the character dynamics perfectly i understand what's going on i understand their situation i understand what they're saying what's it about what's this what's this all about what is this for what's it all about you know alfie (laughs) i i i i enjoyed it I think I got generally a sense of what the show's theme was, but beyond that, not so much. We forgot. I I I I I I forgot to start it. Start this part of the conversation off with the question that we're putting in, which uh, uh, honestly I, I feel could be answered. I don't know if. Hmm. Um, let's end with that question. Do you think so? Okay, okay, sure. Yeah. For this episode. Uh-huh. For this episode, let's okay. end with that question, because there's much discussion to be had on the way to that answer. Good point. Okay, so we'll save that for later. 
what did you think of the show as an as an experience? So, I had watched this before. Um, the uh-huh. first time I watched it, I genuinely had no clue what I thought. I, I walked out thinking, hmm, I just don't know. <laughs> and going back, watching it a second time, knowing what to expect, I liked it a lot more. I think it's very entertaining. I don't know if it's any good. Mm. Good in what sense? Um, well written, accomplishes what it sets out to do, has overall meaning, sheds light on the human experience. I think it does mm. those things, but to varying degrees of success. Okay. Why don't you talk a little bit? um i think the 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 the, all of the characters were very well detailed and very outlined Uh, i don't think there was a time where you really didn't get a character or get what their motivations were or what their inner sort of dialogue was uh you pretty clearly understood what each of the characters were after what their goals were what their morals were it was more so about like what is the conflict they're having like, what is their problem? Is it that... The question is, is it that Edina's problem that she's having, where her ex-husband left for a significantly younger person, is being mirrored in her father, but played by Jack Weatherall, who is now much older and dating a much younger person, and that she's angry at seeing that reflected in him? Is it that they all think that this man's just in it for the money? Is this a question of... Is this a play about vanity and about, like, seeming oneself or is it a play about trying to escape one's the, the less glamorous side of one's past or like can all these things coexist or does there have to be a specific thing like it it raises up a whole different slew of topics and doesn't really conclude any of them it, it, it just raised up a whole lot of things and it didn't feel like any of them were really resolved. It's left a, they, they were all sort of left in the air. Which well, I suppose is realistic. It's definitely a play that has more than one topic, more than one theme. Is about more than one simple problem. Which is fine. Do those problems coalesce is the real question. But let me just start with... What I've noticed about Joshua Harmon over this and Significant Other, he writes some of the most gorgeous monologues in modern theater. Mm. Just beautiful, gorgeous, perfect monologues. The problem I have Mm. with him is he populates his plays with deeply unlikable characters who constantly make deeply unlikable actions. Yeah. And so you can't, it's not, there's no one you can sympathize with or be on the side of. And it's not, that's very true. It's not just a matter of sympathy, but his characters talk in a way that makes them seem dumb. And you wonder, is that, uh, is that the character or is that the playwright? Mm hmm. And you want to say it's the character because then the playwright writes these monologues that are truly 
some of the best monologues we have in modern music in modern theater but so much of his plays are distasteful not because of subject matter i could give a fuck if it's a distasteful subject matter they're distasteful in the everyday dialogue that he makes his characters say they're distasteful in that not only are these unlikable people, they constantly remind you that they are unlikable people. And mm. as a result, the plays are not easy to love. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, um, was there anyone you particularly liked? Any character you particularly liked here? Beyond the question of like, I felt like Benjamin, the son, played by Eli Gelb, was the one that felt the most... I should say the least artificial. But was he likable? Not really. Uh, Yeah. Not likable. But it was the one that that I felt that I trusted the most. If that makes sense. Trust. If it's a question of trust, I think they're... I think all of the characters, for me, were equal with how much I trust them. The... Benji seemed the most down to earth. He's also yeah. not likable because he makes comments like, mm, Mom put me on coach on the way over here. Elliot never gave me a gift like that. And yeah. he's entitled. He's an entitled brat. Yeah, fair. Why don't we do a quick plot synopsis? Okay. That might help. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do a really quick um, plot synopsis. It is not so, a work that is intricately plot-driven. It's a yeah. rumination so, on Jody themes. Jody Isaac, good way of putting it. Jody Isaac, played by Edina Menzel, shows up at her old man's house. Uh, her father, Elliot, played by Jack Weatherall, uh, on the eve of his birthday. Uh, he come, uh, She comes his over. His 70th birthday. She's about to... His 70th birthday, he's about, and she's bringing her kid over as well. The father doesn't like surprises, blah, 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 they talk. Jody is distraught because her ex-husband is about to get married to a, to a woman 30 years his junior, and then shows up at her father's place to find that uh, he has a live-in partner named Trey, played by Will Britton, who is 50 years his junior. This sort of throws her for a loop. Uh, her son shows up. The fiance, uh, Trey, proposes to Elliot, Jody's father, and that's the entire plot. Yeah, I suppose. A uh, couple character beats ensue. The father's a very well off, rags to riches person. The father is um, reportedly inspired by Calvin Klein. Huh, okay. Uh, no, not Elliot and Trey. Uh, sorry. Benjamin and Trey have a moment at the end of Act One it, where we they should to understand each other. We should mention. Oh. Well, there's a lot in that moment. We'll get to that later. Uh, we should mention okay. that Elliot's grandson Benjamin is the exact same age as his partner Trey. They are both yes. twenty. God, holy they. So. Why don't we discuss each of the characters separately? I do feel like that would probably be the yeah, best way idea. to proceed here. 
And why don't we... This is going to be a very abstractly structured episode because I think this show... This show calls calls for it. it. And why, when we discuss the characters, Uh why don't we also discuss the performances? Sure. So I guess let's start off... Let's go from top billing to bottom. Start off with Idina Menzel as uh, Jody Isaac. This character is in her early 40s as she makes very plain, very clear, a deeply deeply insecure woman it's the age is kind of questionable she likes to say that she just turned 40 but later on her father says you're fastly approaching 50 mm-hmm. so where is she in her 40s we don't really know we do know she has a 20 year old son and that she finished yes. law school so i would probably put her around 47 that makes sense with all the context what did you make of her character a very very insecure someone who i felt was trying to get a grasp of self-worth or self-confidence someone who felt sort of out of control with their own life and someone who basically took sort of passive aggressive anger out on things in which she shot she saw her own insecurities reflected she acted passive aggressively but the passive part kind of wore off very fast. Yeah. I think she was outright (laughs) aggressive by the end, just not physically. Yeah. Just very direct, very direct. Went right for the jugular towards the end, especially. I think, what do you have to say about it? I think she is the most unlikable person on that stage. Um, okay. I could, I could hear that out. So she comes in, she enters this monologue, and you just get the sense that, God, this woman is exhausting. And there are some funny witticisms. Overall, the play is funny. It's a very entertaining evening. And you know, she's talking about her ex-husband and his girlfriend and talking about the age difference. And she's saying, what the hell did they discuss? I want to see the transcripts, which is a great line. Yeah. And then Trey... That was the thing I wanted to mention. There are some really good lines in the in the play. There's some hysterical lines, which we will get to. Um, this is not an author devoid of humor. He knows how to set up a one-liner. He knows how to deliver one-liners. Trey enters the room, and from the very beginning, she says, this is a family weekend. Go home. Well, this is my yeah. home. Well, then go stay with friends. And then her father, Elliot, comes back into the room, and she's immediately fake. Daddy, you didn't tell me you had a partner. It, 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 you immediately get the sense, this is a fake person. And actually, person. that was one of the notes I took. I said, I genuinely don't know if Adina Menzel can't act anymore, or if this character is that fake. And at the end of the day, I do think she can still act. I do think the character just really is that fake. Did you get that sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so much of what was happening, what she was doing on that stage was so unbelievable that I thought maybe she really doesn't know how to act anymore. Here's something that I found really interesting. And I think this could possibly accidentally speak to a greater like thematic thing with this show. And this is something that sort of I saw recurring. I don't know if this will be too holistic to 
tack on right now. But as I was watching it, one of the things I realized was like a hurdle for me digesting the story enough is that most of the play is sort of about vapidness. And it's about like, you know, the putting on of airs and the glamorizing of oneself. And it's something I realized, like I was finding it hard to like tell whether or not it was trying to make a point of it because that vapidness, the urging for glamorization is something that I, that I feel both in life and in art, I am just genuinely accustomed to, to the point where I, I don't, I don't recognize whether or not it's trying to be artificial. I almost take it at face value. I assume that, uh, oh yes, this is them trying to be glamorous on a stage or them trying to, you know, do you, do you know what I mean? It's like, not really. it, it, it's something that tries to, it tries to address something to which perception of human status has become so accustomed to. It's like the player, the act, the it, performers. Like the perf- like, well, both. Uh, I don't really know like, what you're in getting. In the way at they here. carry themselves, the in the term, in the sense of there are so many pieces of theater you'll watch, or so many reality TV shows, or so many just movies in which it's so it can be so hard to draw the line against whether an actor is trying to give a performance or whether an actor is trying to be this actor and go, I'm this actor and I'm on stage and I'm doing this to the point where you never know whether or not that choice would be intentional or not. So uh, you had a hard time separating character from performance is what you're saying. Hard, hard, I suppose. And like, just, just whether or not the subject matter was trying to stand out as, Oh, look how vapid these people are. Look how, self-indulgent they are they like are how glamorous they're vapid they they're self-indulgent yeah. that's not a question yeah but the, but for me it was it, it was a it, it was like uh okay is this a point they're trying to make or is this just or is this just the way these characters are interacting is this just trying to replicate uh, what do you mean by point they're trying to make are they trying to address vapidness? Are they trying to address those self-indulgences? Or is this just a look at a modern life in which this is just integral to the way they communicate? So, you're questioning, is this the overall, is this overall something that the author is trying to address? Or these are the characters and this is just the character's reality? Yeah, I think so. I think that's it, yeah. Okay. Well, that's an issue I have with him because he makes these deeply unlikable characters um, and they deal with pretty vapid issues but they deal with it in a profound way uh-huh. by the end of the show always anyway that was that was something that I wanted to I guess address so I was uh-huh. I, I found myself sort of unable uh, not unable but like it was a bit of a a mountain to surpass over whether or not I was realizing that it sets you at an uh, arm's like, distance away from the play. Yeah. You can't fully yeah. engage because you don't trust the author, honestly. Did you trust the playwright? Not. Um, well, it depends in what sense. Did I trust him to, like, deliver character interactions did i think did i did i wonder whether or not he was hiding anything or if there was any really really subdued subtext that was going to pop up not really i took most of what he wrote at uh face value uh it felt like they were all showing their true colors uh pretty blatantly uh in terms of did i trust him to like 
at by the end of the show give me this like overall message this clear what was this all about not necessarily throughout watching it even i didn't really have faith in that okay um one of the first things i picked up on the writing adina menzel is supposed to be this high-powered lawyer at Mm -hmm. a um high-end law firm and the writing itself the character doesn't seem very verbal doesn't seem like she has a massive vocabulary and i'm not saying that lawyers doesn't seem super articulate um yeah i'm not saying that lawyers have to always be articulate always have to use high value multi-syllabic words but you start out thinking is she a good lawyer i'm not really buying that did you buy that she was a lawyer high-powered lawyer uh, I was caught off guard by it. Uh-huh. And they mentioned I it. Think... They, they mentioned it in the first time, what, like halfway in the sec- in the first act? Mm-hmm. Or like uh, towards the end of the first it, act? It, yeah, and it was not something you were expecting to hear at all. And... Yeah. And it also didn't feel like something that was all too integral. It just sort of felt like something was fl- slipped in to show the emphasis of like, uh, you know, oh, you're you're after the money well isn't that what you're after? well you know it is something integral because in her mind she has made all of her money uh-huh she makes it very clear and her son makes it very clear they think they have made all of their money they don't see their own privilege right necessarily and the way that yeah. she speaks, it does make you question, is she good at her job or did someone buy her way into her job? Uh, that's something that the, that the Trey addresses, right? Because he's sort of, like, he's basically, he's ba- he's pretty upfront with saying, uh, yeah, well, who paid to put... To well, that's with, who, who that's with the grandson. Yeah. But like they have that conversation among them, and it and it sort of speaks to that greater question of like you know did like why like why is she there why why is she a lawyer who put her there who got her there would she have gotten there on her own merit or was it her daddy's money that propelled her there mm-hmm. and how is she keeping this job at this high end law firm that's the bigger question yeah. I have right and it's things like that that make me question the playwright's ability i don't know if Mm. her overall limited vocabulary is an artistic choice or a limitation of the author and when you're making me ask is this character that vapid or can the actress not act it undermines what you could potentially be trying to accomplish with the writing true do you agree Yes. Yeah, because it sort of throws you way off balance. You're not. Th- you're. You're. You're just not thinking about what you should be thinking about. You're like, you have all these niggling things in the back of your mind. As like, oh well, wait. Does, is, does this correlate to this? Is this integral to this? You're like trying to put these pieces together, and in doing that, you take your attention away from what the author might be trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And. She's just, she is truly disgusting towards Trey. Yeah. She can't accept that he's even there. So. 
doesn't want him there, is constantly making a point of, you're not a part of this family, you're the flavor of the month, which might be true, but why be so aggressive about it? I think it, I think it harkens back to insecurity. Well, it harkens back Obviously, to insecurity, but you know, it's something she later tries to school him on. You have no class. You have no dignity. Well, look at how you've acted over the last two hours of this play. You're not showing that you have any class or dignity yourself. Mm-hmm. So later on in the play, we get that there's this whole subtextual motivation in that she thinks that her father has never paid any attention to her. She showed up for this weekend to try and get daddy's attention because she's feeling discarded, which is valid and also in its own way is self-centered because yeah, while that might be a major issue that you will have to deal with in your life, it can't be every single second. And I swear to God, there is not a single comment that Trey makes throughout the entire play that she then doesn't have to comment on or one-up herself. And the character yeah. is exhausting. She's just an exhausting person to spend time with. So, does that then lead you to just... Like, like how much distrust does that leave you in that character how how much of a disconnect is there are you able to well that's the look upon this character? that's the other thing with yeah. all of these characters no one in this play seems to have a great sense of self-awareness right they all seem a little clueless a little nobody's home yeah that makes sense do you think wh- wh- where do you think it stems from it stems from a different place for each character or I don't know, because the characters in Significant Other also have no sense of self-awareness, and that was a huge issue I had with that play. So, mm. I the issue I am constantly butting up against with Joshua Harmon is, is this intentional style, or is this a limitation of his writing and his abilities? Mm. What do you think? God, I don't know. I... That also, again, speaks to that disconnect of, like, I wasn't sure if... Like, because throughout the thing, I was never 100% certain of, is this trying to make a statement, or is this just trying to replicate, or are, you, are we just taking a look into people's lives as they deal with a, a different topic? Is this He's just... taking on big topic issues, but... Yeah. The question is, are they having big topic discussions? That's what you're saying? Basically? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I suppose. Like, it's, the topics themselves it's, it's, it's deserve clear, a more thorough discussion than is always present. It's clearer at some times than it is at others. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes clearer than other times whether or not, like, what they're saying is, like, you know... If, if they are meant to be having a big discussion and are having a big discussion. I think sometimes they do that, but it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something that is a constant issue here. Consistency. Yeah. I don't think there is any consistency. Would you agree? Do you think there's anything in particular that would have, re- would have assisted it? it? That's just playwright. That is the playwright that is thinking through the work, doing edits, doing rewrites. 
clarifying detail. Yeah. In that case, would you say that this is not exactly an effective script? I don't think it's ineffective. I just don't think it congeals. Mm. I don't think everything adds up at every moment. Would you agree? Yeah. I agree. Because, uh, specifically, those final two monologues, it's the very last scene. Elliot has just the most gorgeous monologue ever about why he's with a 20-year-old, and we'll get to that later. And then Adina has her monologue about, you didn't love me, and I don't really... I think what she was getting at is that she doesn't think he can love flat out. And so then to call his relationship with Trey love seems dishonest to her. The then question is, is it so offensive that you have behaved that way over the course of the entire play? And this is something that Elliot and Jody do not see eye to eye on at all. Elliot sees relationships as transactional and Jody is looking for something deeper. And those two monologues, do they ever get, do they ever see a consensus? Do they ever find a ground, a satisfying ground to end on? Not exactly, but they are deep enough and they are moving enough that it almost justifies the entire play. Don't you think? In hindsight, maybe. I remember in the moment sort of just going, okay. Like, I wasn't I wasn't hurt by it, per se, but I was just sort of like, cool. They, in they other words, remove those monologues. What would you be saying about the play right now? Uh, remove those monologues. I would, I would definitely be saying, so what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? What did we learn from these characters? Uh-huh. And I think, I think in hindsight, from those monologues, I did learn what the characters specific motivations were what the motivations were what the conflict is what the overall themes are and why it matters to these people again we did heathers and there was the tiniest lifeboat song and i said i don't necessarily need to agree with the character's reasoning but i see why they got to that conclusion but also the question is do you think do you think the 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 main point of skin tide is whether or not relationships are transactional well, that's an interesting thing to discuss. Is there a relationship in this play that isn't transactional? Huh. <laughs> no. no. I would almost say Jody and her son, Benji. I I was thinking it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But because he's just at times he feels like a tool for her to take up more air in the room. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She uses him as a as a therapist, almost, for her to just say whatever is on her mind to vent about her problems, and he sort of just lies there and hears about it. And and, and she, uh, she extrapolates information out of him, too, from the birthday party. Not the, not the birthday party, the engagement party. Uh, she keeps asking, who was there? Tell me about this. What was that like? What, what was going on there? And it, then from the other side of things, that she wants. he shows up, the first thing that he says is he's incensed that his mother put him on coach. Oh my god, the horrors of being on coach on a plane. Oh, how could you stand it? Yeah, n- yeah, no, I'm understanding exactly what you mean by, by the prissy thing now. Well, not prissy, but just privileged. 
textbook privileged and doesn't realize he's privileged. Yeah. It's true. I I don't... So you have Jody saying that relationships shouldn't be transactional, and yet we aren't seeing a relationship in her life that isn't transactional. So in that way, does the play then, in fact, argue all relationships are transactional, or was that character sloppily written? Do you, Are you leaning one way or the other? Let's continue the conversation, sure because I honestly, I so. think I'm getting to a conclusion, but I don't know if I'm there yet. Okay, well, connect, George, connect. Uh, let's move on, then, to Elliot Isaac, played by Jack Weatherall. Oh, oh well, first of all, first of all... Let's um, talk sorry, about just, Adina's Do you have any more performance yeah. notes? Yeah, sorry, I was about to say, do you have any more? Do you have any performance notes for Idina as an actress? I think she's very effective. Uh, she's a unique yeah. personality. She has always been a unique personality. Um, there's much discussion around Wicked. Honestly, she is the best Elphaba. And that is because she played the subtext like no other actress ever played the subtext. Vocally, your mileage will vary based on how much you like her voice. But she is such a unique presence, and she did play the sub the subtext so much in that role that she comes up head and shoulders above everyone else that has um, followed her. Here, she's not playing the subtext as much, but I don't know if the writing is allowing her to do that. I do think that ultimately she has some fine acting moments, and especially in that final scene, she's great. The beginning, I seriously questioned whether or not she could act anymore, and again, I do not know if that is the character is so fake and the character can't hide that she's being fake. I do not know if that is an intentional choice. I think... All of the issues I have with this play come down to, is this an intentional choice or is this a limitation of the performer, actor, production, writing? Mm. What did you make of her? I really enjoyed her performance. Idina Menzel's one of the biggest actresses, one of the biggest names to come from musical theater. Especially considering this is a, you know, this is Idina Menzel breaking out of a Broadway uh, like like New York theater fame, this is uh this is Frozen, Idina Menzel, and so you I I sort of went in expecting there to be some like uh, you know we got entrance applause for both acts. I've never heard a second act entrance applause before, but like you expected there to be like uh, this whole oh look, guys it's the Idina Menzel show. Idina Menzel's gonna have her acting moments, and this is gonna be uh, a whole her performance. And I didn't get anything less than character. It was pure character. I didn't for a moment think, uh, oh, wow, she gets to have a good, su- such a good performance moment here. I got pure 100% embodiment of character and a pure dedication to carrying out uh, the dialogue. And I think it was done really effectively. It was done really, really, really naturalistically. Um, and while I didn't have that uh, distinction, like I, I didn't have a problem within, uh, oh, is this the actress doing what the actress does, or is this uh, how the character was supposed to be written? It was more like, uh, is this character being presented in a way that's supposed to show up some red flags, or is it in so, or is the way it is more subtle and not 
unabashed about how, uh, oh, look how over-the-top, glitzy, glamorous, self-obsessed I am, is that um, then supposed to indicate that this is not the central point of focus? And I don't know whether or not that is more attributed to the writing, the directing, or to Edina. But that's what I have to say. Okay. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a fantastic performance. All right. Let's move no on then no to notes. Jack Weatherall as Elliot Isaac. And sure, if you're familiar with him, you pr- you probably remember him as Uncle Vic in Queer as Folk, which mm. I'm sure you've never seen. I, I, the name is familiar. And here he is playing Elliot Isaac. W- what did you make of this character? Um, very closed off. It sort of felt like Bruce Bechdel without the Hamarsha, you know? It's like there weren't any signs that were like, uh, oh, wow, this is going to lead to an unraveling. Oh, no, there's an emotional outburst. That means that this is a sensitive subject. It was nothing like that. It was, like, completely walled off. It was completely self... By any chance, have you ever seen the movie The Meyerowitz Stories? No, I haven't. It's a recentish movie from Netflix. Um, Dustin Hoffman plays a character which I thought was very, very similar in which he's... You know, a man who's a father who who no one in his life is really able to tell whether or not he has a, a shred of authenticity left in him. Yeah, that was something I felt really strongly with this person. It was like, it, you never you never wonder, like, oh, is there a secret they're trying to... Like, like, it's not so much like a, oh, there has to be a secret they're cr- trying to keep. This is a subject that they're sensitive about or something like that. It just... It, it felt at all times like this was a completely artificial embodiment of a person from start to finish. And there were very, very, very few moments where that artifice ever let let go. I don't know if it's necessarily artificial. He gets to that final monologue and he says, Hot matters. My entire career has been hot. Hot is what bought this house. He's been a trendy clothing designer who his entire existence is based in these things normal people would be artificial. And I don't honestly believe we should be judging that so much. Just as as human beings. Yes, it's not good that there is so much artificiality in this world, and it's not a positive thing for society that we have such limitations on what is hot but Mm -hmm. if that's how you've made your entire living and you've made that much money as long as you're not a dick about it i shouldn't have much to say you know i suppose so i guess then it's less to do with artificiality and more with a complete surface level way of living yes I will agree with that. Would you there agree, is though? a surface level approach to life that he takes, and he does not seem to mind that, and he kind of revels in that. Would you agree, though, that he seems to be very, very emotionally disconnected? He is, yeah, I was just about to say, he is very disconnected. Um, which is part of the reason why his daughter randomly showed up for his birthday. She's trying to get some connection out of him. He goes to Europe while his son is in Hungary studying abroad, and the son said, you didn't visit me? I could have come to visit you if you didn't even want to visit me, and didn't even mention it. 
completely mm. walled off, completely disconnected from his family. But honestly, do you think we're given evidence that he's that connected to Trey? Mm. No, not really. I don't think. Which is what makes the proposal bit so, you know, when he has like 30 seconds of silence and then... Mm-hmm. And then yes, yeah, and like has this like emotional, like that's the most emotional we see him. Mm -hmm. Agrees to get married, and we do get a tidbit from Trey. Late in the first act, Elliot is super controlling. Trey says, Mm. and you get the sense that yes, that is true. This is someone that sees relationships as completely transactional. He is getting something out of it, so Trey should be getting something out of it financially or otherwise like i was i never found myself asking like uh oh is this transactional is there a chance that uh you know he could be getting something out of it that was very clear he was very clearly getting something out of it it was very clearly even if it wasn't the motivation even if it wasn't the intention behind the relationship it was very clear that there was a very transactional dynamic between the two of them and part of that transaction is that he's super controlling Part of that transaction is there is a high, there's high reward, but there is also a high price ticket to ride. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, very true. Do you have anything else you want to say about the characters? Yeah. So. I'm sorry about the character. Yeah, sorry about this character yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically. My bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the very end, he does get the best moment in the show. Which is the aforementioned monologue. And he says, you wake up after 35 and you start to smell the stench of death. And he says, a 20-year-old wakes up and they smell like sex. I want to wake up and smell sex. Yeah. Which I thought was a very interesting way to look at that. Again, completely understood why the character was that way. And did the power dynamic creep you out? I think it might be it might be something I'm a little bit more desensitized to. It's not the most shocking thing in the world anymore to see a a very powerful older person and their younger sort of. Uh, I was watching an episode of of Thirty Rock where they equated that dynamic to this the the sex idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's something that doesn't shock me so much anymore. Uh, it's not it something didn't, like, like oh, wow. It, it didn't shock yeah. me, but it, they are getting at it with things like Elliot is controlling. Uh, early on, very early on in the play, we see Elliot take Trey's phone because he's texting someone he doesn't want to be texting. Mm. That's not great. I'm not going to say it's outright abusive, but it's somewhere on the way down that line. Yeah. And, and that's really because, you know, because, of course, Elliot holds the power. And you have uh, Trey being a little old hick from Oklahoma who came from nothing. And so you literally have, like, a, a dynamic between the upper class and the lower class. And you see the sort of, like, like, you know, of course the upper class will have all the power. It's like... He's providing in this way, in this way, in this way. It's like, so there's a a debt that has to be paid, you know? Well, and really, we get that this character is unlikable with his interactions with Adina. Uh, because the very first scene, she starts eating a croissant. 
he starts telling her, eat an apple, which is a comment on weight <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah. Later on, she gets combative. She basically says, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. I love when you don't get the references I'm making, but the audience is laughing at home. Adina <laughs> <laughs> says, I've looked you up online. They're all going to laugh at you. And he shoots back later on that Adina is asking him, do you honestly think that you arouse Trey? His response is, I obviously arouse him more than you aroused Greg, which is Sadina's ex-husband. Really ugly moment. Yeah. And honestly, the most surprising thing in this play, there is the houseboy, the manservant character. Uh, What was the Mm -hmm. name? Jeff was Um, the name. The name, yes, yes. Jeff was the name of the manservant. And then at the end of the play, we find out that Jeff is Elliot's ex-boyfriend. And Jeff got old, so he traded him for a newer model, but he doesn't want this guy to be homeless, so he's now the manservant at the house. Which is disgusting, but also is Elliot thinking he's being nice. Yeah, to place your ex-boyfriend in servitude of you. Mm -hmm. So overall, the character of Elliot is... Deeply shitty. Shitty. I think money has corrupted him to a certain extent. Yeah, of course. That goes that that he very very clear. He lives on his own terms and it's not a world that makes sense to most people, but you understand his reasoning by the end of the play. Mhm. I really did find that monologue moving. It sounds yeah. like you didn't, but the uh the the last monologue. His last monologue, you wake up and you smell like death. Found it very revealing. I don't. I, I. I. didn't even know if it was something that necessarily felt vulnerable. It did feel honest. If nothing else, absolute honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I admired. I admired within it. And at the end, he does say quite honestly, "I have to care about hot." That's the entire career. That is what my life's work has been. Mm-hmm. Which has corrupted him in a way and has made him live a very different life, but. It does seem like these are the natural results of living that life. Hi. So, anything else you'd like to say about Elliot? Well, let's talk about the performance. Yes, okay. Moving on from Elliot, we'll talk about Jack Weatherall playing Elliot. Incredibly effective performance. The way in which he carried himself, like, radiated through the screen to me. He carried himself like he had money. Yes, uh, he carried himself like he was, like he had money, like he cared, like he carried himself as if there was nothing that he had to prove to anyone else beyond surface level that he wished to share. Mm-hmm. He had nothing to prove. He had Very, nothing to share. Yeah, he has power and no need for vulnerability within him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something that was like smack you across the fl- face clear. I uh, thought it was a beautiful and I really. Like that. Yeah, very much so. Incredibly committed, incredibly grounded, incredibly lived it. 
okay. Should we move on? Yep. Why don't we move on cool. to Jody's son, Benjamin? Yes, played by Eli Gelb. And what did you make of this character? Um, as I mentioned before, he seemed to me to be the... Uh, I used the word honest at first. I think I more appreciate the word you used, which was down to earth. He was the one that I felt... He was still the one that I felt like I could I could trust the most. There wasn't anything that felt devious or cunning or... Really? Um, strategic. Not really, no. It felt like someone who completely didn't... Like, like if anything, he didn't feel like he necessarily had the capacity to be cunning there were a lot of moments where i was more so like oh this guy's going off a wing in a prayer right now did you feel differently i guess cunning and strategic fine you're right he's not cunning or strategic but what struck me and this goes back to these characters are not self-aware he's very entitled Mm. he has an open conversation with trey at the end of act one about are you here for the money are you after the money and at the end of the scene, Trey has come down, we should say Trey has come downstairs in a jock strap, and that is all he's wearing. And he comes to sit on the couch mm. with Jody and Benji. It's late at night, clearly post-sex. And Jody leaves. At the end of the scene, Benji puts his hand on Trey's upper thigh. And of course he's caught by Elliot, but you really think he's over here worried about Trey taking all the money when he's not doing much to stay in the will. Doesn't seem concerned about staying in that will. Why would you take that action? Why would you make those moves if you were that concerned about the money? Because if Trey ran off with you, you would be disinherited. I don't doubt for a second he would be disinherited. That was also, that was really the main plot point of the entire show. Trey comes down in a jockstrap and Benji and Trey do start flirting with each other. And act two begins and Elliot and Benji both sing The Boy Is Mine. And you really... (laughs) Yet another cultural reference that you don't get. Um, <laughs> I know the girl is mine. Is that, what? Is that okay? What? I know the girl is mine, the song. Okay. Well, in the 90s, there was an R&B song, The Girl Is Mine, with Monica and Brandy singing. And the Boy Is Mine, Monica and Brandy singing. And it's just like... I don't know if you're singing The Boy Is Mine with your grandson, um... Maybe both you, your grandson, and the boy in question have some deep questions you need to answer. (laughs) That was... But (laughs) he makes all these comments. Benji is really worried about the money. And then does he honestly think he's going to fuck his grandfather's boyfriend? What did you make of that moment? I just saw it as, like, a dorky little kid who's never gotten much action, who's carried away by lust after making some kind of emotional connection with this guy I hadn't previously assumed to have had an emotional connection with. It just felt very, like... But your grandfather's boyfriend... blind. 
the like their conversation lasted lasted about 20 minutes is completely feasible for him like someone of that especially in his uh, 20 years old for all that to strip his mind and to go hmm hot boy it 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 completely felt like he like this thing that he was so set on this thing that he was so solid about he just completely set aside in his mind does that make sense mm-hmm. that's my two cents okay just felt like someone who was who n- never had some sort of really secret cunning ulterior motive you never questioned of if if what he was saying was trying to get him to a different point or if he was trying to like you know if he was trying to play some sort of long game of chess it just felt like he was well and it's also interesting brashly. he puts his hand on Trey's thigh after having a long conversation about he saw the father the boys that he was attracted to in school he saw their fathers and realized they're only attractive because they're young. He turns to Trey and says, you're only attractive right now because you are young. And then he gets real quiet. And he makes a point of he stopped being attracted to the boys at his school once he saw their fathers and realized they were only attractive because they're young. But clearly he's lying because he ends up hitting on this guy. Do you think he was lying? To say that he was not attracted to them anymore because he realized they're going to age poorly and then he hits on this guy how could that not be a lie i don't think i i don't think it was something that was a uh, determined to be a lie it's something like uh you know the kind of people who will go uh oh god all those people uh, who peaked in high school god look where they are now i'm so much farther ahead of them and then those are the same people who can't stop talking about their own high school experiences and are like oh this is what happened to me in high oh do you remember when, like when, when this happened to me oh my gosh did you know this oh my god i can't believe this person's doing that like you know it's that kind of thing where it's like you tell yourself oh that was the reason why i'm over it i'm over it. and then as soon as the nearest opportunity gives you the permission to you slip right the hell back into that whole old habit okay that's just, that's I you know that's just something that, that that that's how I put the pieces together in my mind I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah. The other question I have, and this kind of goes to the performance. Did you buy that this was a twenty-year-old, or were they trying to make this kid too young? Yeah, I think I got it honestly. I think so. I didn't think all of the sort of acting out of rashness. I can see how it could be interpreted as like someone acting as though they were like fifteen or sixteen, but. There wasn't anything that was very brashly like, uh, oh, that's a disconnect. That doesn't feel true. That's artificial. That's played. That's performed. You know, like I, I, I didn't get such a strong indicator of that. There were definitely moments where he presented like a young teenager, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's how twenty-year-olds act. The question is, do you think that this? Did you recognize something in him that made it seem as though um, there should be a level of emotional maturity that you didn't see, that that you couldn't find? You know, that is an interesting question. I would hope by 20 you would start getting some level of emotional maturity. It's not going to be fully formed. There seemed to be no level of emotional maturity with this kid. And is that because he's privileged? Again, is that intentional or is that just a limitation or a fault in the writing? Yeah, I guess I can't answer that point of it too well because I have that same question with a lot of things myself. I I took most of the char- the the interpretations of the characters as 
intentional and specific because assuming the opposite would mean that most of what I watched uh, was completely disconnected from the writing. And so I, I, I pretty much equated that to this character as well. Well, but that can happen. You can watch yeah. shows, you can watch performances, you can watch productions that don't give a fuck about the writing. It happens. Yeah. God, you did a presentation on Eva Van Hove. <laughs> True. Uh, it's Eva Van Hove, but he tried. <laughs> Eva Van Hove. Oh, God. Is this going to be your next Christian Brel? It's Eva Van Hove. Okay, sure. It's Eva Van Hove. It is Christian Brel. Um, immersive. Do you, ever, do you ever wear out your throat with that? No, I don't. Immersive theatrical experience. Um, are we gonna have to publish a a dictionary? Are we going to have to publish a guide to the? To the it would have to be a phonetic dictionary, because those are all phonetic. God knows the rules of English need not apply on the unauthorized critic circle. That's why we're unauthorized. <laughs> oh God. We get away with so much under that umbrella term. Anyway. <laughs> so, what did you make of the performance? So, Eli Gelb. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. The honesty of the writing came through in the honesty of the portrayal. Uh, again, it didn't feel like there was artifice. It felt like we were seeing a pure, privileged brat in training. I wouldn't call him a fully-fledged brat, but it's definitely, uh, you know, you, you, you recognize the... The, the, the symptoms. If he doesn't grow, he's going to be a complete brat. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the actor was really unaffected. Uh, seemed like a natural on stage. Had a lot of presence. I think he's going to have a great career. So do I. Um, but yeah, I, I think incredibly solid performance. Which brings us to the character of the moment. Trey. What a beautiful, beautiful, stupid boy. <laughs> I'll ask it. Do you think he was in love with Elliot? Yeah. Yeah. Y- you do? I do. I'm not going to say that I don't... I-, I think that that means their relationship couldn't have been transactional because it was so determined and based in-, in love that he wouldn't ask for anything. I don't think that's something I'd feel comfortable saying at all. But I think Trey had genuine feelings for Elliot. I think whether or not... It is purely based on his own will is a different question. I think he loves Elliot. I think it's possible that he loves Elliot for what Elliot has done for him. What Elliot has done is basically saved him from the life he was living before. That is what I was about to say. I don't necessarily think he's in love with Elliot. I think he's in love with the lifestyle that Elliot has given him and he is extremely willing to pay the price of admission in the relationship. So, okay, so you think that's that's a conscious thing then that he doesn't that he's not in love with the person but is in love with the life that he is given through the person. You think that's a conscious separation? Yes, I don't think we didn't really see the two as close. The proposal came out of le- or the response to the proposal came out of left field. Uh watching this we'll get to the proposal in a second it seemed very clearly motivated but you know he's talking about all of his younger friends wants elliot to go out at the beginning of the show with all of his younger friends um the comments about you know elliot is very um control elliot is super controlling 
just the back and forth we have between Elliot and Trey. I don't know if there's a deep emotional connection between them. And I don't think either of them specifically mind that that's missing. In which case, who am I to judge? I, I've, you know. Yeah. Which I do think is overall the point of the play. But I do think there is a lot of love that... The love of the life that Elliot has given him. Whatever price of admission Elliot puts on that tray is more than willing to pay. I suppose. I had been seeing it to this point as like an unconscious thing. Like he, he doesn't make the connection that, I I I didn't think he made the connection that uh, this life that he's being given is completely detached to the reason he loves this man. But I can definitely see where you're coming from with it. Well, and there's also the subplot in the play that Trey had previously done gay porn. And the website... Very sudden, by the mm-hmm. way. Very, very sudden, by the way. Well, very sudden. There wasn't anything that really built up to it, was there? No, but it was not surprising to hear. Sure. And there was a discussion of the website that he was on was specifically a straight guy gay for pay thing. So then there was a discussion between Trey and Benji. Do you love women? Yes. And, you know, Benji's kind of questioning him. Are you straight and just here for the money? Which I don't think that is the case. Uh Uh-huh. But it shades things in gray. I see what you mean. Um, And really where we get that Trey is unlikable... At the very beginning of the play, he is terrible to the servants, the hired help. Or at yeah. least he he, ha- he seems to have a good relationship with the woman maid that lives in the house. The manservant, he seems to hate. And we get why later on, because this was the man that preceded him. And yeah. that makes him insecure. So you can understand the character's motivation there, but that does not endear him to the audience. No, absolutely not. And there is a very honest moment. I think the most honest moment of the play. Do you know what I'm about to say here? Um, I think, no, there's a couple it could be. Um, which one in particular? The, specifically, the most honest, the most truth- truthful moment. Jody talks about Isaac taking her to a nightclub when she was a teenager. And Trey asks, what's Studio 54? Oh, God. Hmm. Let's see, a 20-year-old not understanding what Studio 54 okay. is or um, not specifically they, so, so overall, I think remembering we should, uh, segue that into the Will name Britton. is uh, Studio Will Britton, this is a 54. On the huh, where did that happen? Oh, yeah, on our pilot. Hmm, that was it, really Which truthful. you cut out and then referenced the episode after, so you have no right to redig a grave that you emptied yourself. I, I cut it out, but I keep it will keep coming up. And, God, we haven't done anything that was at Studio 54 before before now, but, God, if we ever do do a roundabout show that is at Studio 54 after this, it will come up again. I am taking Cabaret off the list. (laughs) 
I can't handle that. I can't have that from you. I can't. You will be having it from me. It's just gonna happen. I... <laughs> oh, God. Christ almighty. And... <laughs> so... And then, just the last thing I want to say about the character. I did not get this mm-hmm. the first time around. Um, but this time, leading up to the proposal... Trey is shamed for not getting Elliot a gift. Uh, Elliot gets a gift of a photo album, and one of the photos is Elliot with the manservant from when they were boyfriends. And you see, this is actually a great performance moment. You see Trey recognize if he does not secure his future, he will end up also being the manservant. And so then he proposes. Oh, I never realized that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Which, again, whatever the ticket of admission is put up, he is more than willing to pay the price. The price shot up when he realized there's going to be younger people. Secure your future. Yeah. And why don't we get to the performance, then? We- Will um, Britain. We've got Will Britain. Will Britain. 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 Britannia. Uh, choose your pronunciation. Will Brittentain. We'll call him that. Will Brittentain. Will Brittentain. So Will Brittentain as Trey. What did you make of Will Brittentain? He got better as the show went on. I really did not like him in the first scene as an actor. That had nothing to do with the character. And then the choices that he made seemed to be more justified as the play continued. Mm-hmm. What did you make of him? It felt really truthful. It was something in which I completely, like, it still didn't feel like there was a lot of artifice behind it, you know? It didn't feel like there was a whole lot of a, oh, wow, this guy's given such a performance, or you're acting like the like the doy kind of person. just felt real. I, I, I felt an authenticity to it. This was... I had the same issue I had with the um, Benji character. Did the character present too young? There were definitely, really, that scene where he's texting the other guy and Elliot takes away his phone. The way he reacts is just so teenagery. And did you believe he was actually 20? I would have, both towards him and, uh, towards him and Benji, both of them, I would have more believed that they were mid twenties, not sorry, like early mid twenties, like 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 twenty three, twenty four mm-hmm. area. Yeah, I would have believed that more. I believe, I I think, but once you get it, like once you sort of, if you if you are able to get over that disconnect of, uh, you're X years old and you're playing X years old. Once you get if you get over that thing, you sort of it's it's it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's the most I have to say about it. Really. I do feel like. <laughs> in the world of the play the character did at some point probably shave a couple years of his age off yeah i can i can understand that so let's go back to the play overall let's do so again this is a very humorous play you have a physical bit with the maid carrying suitcases up the stairs which was funny Mm. um you know my favorite line of the play they're discussing the fact that elliot was married to a woman, had kids, and then came out. And Adina Menzel says to her son, you know, if it wasn't for homophobia, I might not be alive, and neither would you. (laughs) 
<laughs> and in the same scene, Benji tells his mother that Trey has done gay porn. She said, you mean that my father is dating a porn star? And the son responds, well, I wouldn't exactly call him a star, but... <laughs> <laughs> There are good lines in it. There are good lines. Yeah, it's definitely funny. And I would think What's Studio 54 is funny, but I've literally had one of those moments. I don't know, kind of at the start of this podcast, so it's just depressing. Christ almighty, get over yourself. Get over myself. Get over myself. You're the one that doesn't know all of the gay ancestral sex grounds that you should. I should? Yes. Okay. You should know the name of Studio 54. And a lot of people got AIDS there. And it was beautiful. It was a specific number. I was thinking 52. Oh, Jesus. I was, I was just barely off. Christ. <laughs> brutal. You're brutal. You know that? You're brutal. All right. What else do you want I... to say about this show? You know, I really want to get to that question that we posed at the beginning and see if we've maybe come to a conclusion. And that question is, what is this show about? What is the the moral main message theme of Skin Tight? Beauty is skin deep, but for some people that is as deep as they need. Do you think that uh, it portrays that in a good light necessarily? Do you think that, that it tries to show it as like something that we should all like live and let live situation? I think the response to that question has more to do with the baggage that you bring in when you walk into the theater than what happened on stage. Okay. What do you think? I might have to agree with, I, I might have to agree with you. I just, uh, again, the big themes of the night. Surface level. Vapidness. Glamour. Uh, you, you know, there's a, there's a big moment in the show that I, we haven't discussed too much. It's the photo album moment. Yes. What do you think is the significance of the photo album? I think Jody was trying to have a deep moment with her father, and she hasn't had many in her life, and she thought this would bring that moment about, which in its own way is very transactional. Right. What did you think of that moment? I thought it was a good... It was the one moment in the show in which they allowed themselves to look at the non-glamorousness of their lives. They got to reflect on their past and they got to step into this moment before they became what they are now. You know, at one point over this episode, you said something about um, denying the past to move into future beauty or something along those lines, right? Uh, You probably put it way more eloquently than I would have, so I appreciate it. (laughs) I do think that is one of the topics of the play. I do think that's where the Jewishness comes in. We look and Hmm. where Jewishness is really discussed is Hungary, and Benji is saying they are still very anti-Semitic, and yet they wear this Jewish man's clothes. And there's a discussion about you put the underwear on, you take the underwear off. His name is pretty much branded on your skin for a couple hours. This is a Jewish man. And yet he doesn't present Jewish enough that anti-Semitic countries accept him. It Hmm. is 
completely a part of his origin, but is no longer a part of his identity. Would you agree? Yeah. You've completely washed yourself of that aspect of your life for the sake of and I think there's even and a mention about, you know, he was in Hungary. He didn't go to the Holocaust Memorial in that country. And the grandson mm. went and said, apparently all of our family didn't make it out. And Elliot seems like he couldn't care less. He doesn't seem affected by it. Uh-uh. Not at all. It seems like he's ready to forget the past. Completely. Yeah. And I, that's, that's kind that of that comes down to the division between Elliot and Trey, Jody and Benji. Jody and Benji are talking about their Jewish roots more. They will not forget the past that Trey has of doing gay porn. And between Elliot and Trey, they both have an understanding that these were our pasts. And we don't need to discuss them. They are behind us. Yeah. So, wow. And the implications that come with it. Then is the main theme about forgetting your past or is it about the price of beauty? Yeah. It's not, it's not specifically the forgetting of the past. It's the, it's the betrayal of one's self for the sake of advancement. It's integral, but it's not about... It's not just forgetting the past. It's abandoning every aspect of the development of yourself, of the true self of you, for the sake of becoming a successful entity. Okay. I think that's what it's... I think that's one of the things that the show is about. All right. So let's go on and talk about the bootleg itself. Um, sure. No notes. I have no notes. Cool. What about you? I don't think there's anything I can really specifically say, change this, fix that. Yeah, it seems perfectly captured. Yeah. Yeah. Seemed absolutely perfectly captured. Um, you might say they didn't pan up to the second level of the set fast enough, but that is a really specific nitpick. There is no spotlight washout. They get the show from the very first second. The camera is very steady. No notes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic quality. The video was captured and with incredible clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd equate this to a pretty theatrical experience. Um, Would you say it was a... Okay. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Let's move on. <laughs> don't, don't try your luck, Dan. Um, what? Um, in terms of... The, in terms that of... Was aggressive. The vi- in terms of the video? A plus, I think. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, this is a very high A, potentially an A plus. I also, I also just appreciate when videos start off a little shot of the landscape around you. Like, you know, from outside the theater, showing the street you're on, the in front of the theater. I like that. I think that's cool. Mm. Oh, they do miss one thing. The curtain call, which is just... So what? Because yeah. the, the cast uh, yeah. the cast took one single bow together. <laughs> you, you get a 50-50 chance of capturing the, the curtain call in, at, at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wasn't something I was even expecting. Yeah, that was the only thing really. that was missed, and um, you're not missing anything there. 
So the video is, yeah, we graded it. It's an A. And that is skin tight. What do we got next week? I'm very excited for this. Um, We haven't decided specifically which performance we're going to be watching just yet. So wait until you hear the outro to get your specific information. It'll be in like a minute or two. But I'm really, really, really excited to address, to uh, tackle a show that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And that show is Once. I, uh, I'm going to go into it a lot more in the next podcast, but it's a show that actually has some pretty significant meaning to me. It was one of the shows that introduced me to, uh, accepting a a wider range of theater than I would have thought I would be accustomed to. And it's been years since I've seen this show, uh, and I fell in love with it watching it and I haven't touched it since. And so I'm very, very excited to revisit. (sighs) Tying everything thematically. You just said this is one of the first shows you saw that expanded your horizons. Presumably you were, what, in middle school? Yes. And when I saw once, uh, first national tour, I was in uh-huh. college. Say it. Uh-huh. And what that translates to is I smell death. Uh-huh. <laughs> Join us for once, everybody. <laughs> Dying slowly, hide it a little, hide it a little, hide it a little, hide it a little. Dying oh, slowly. Thank y'all for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Join us next week when we talk about the Broadway production of Once from May 8th, 2013. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critic Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Skin tight. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein. 